Hi, this is Bharati Jagdish, host of Saga. Welcome to a special bonus feature. Of course, if you haven't already listened to episodes 1 to 12 of Saga, please do so before listening to this, because it won't make much sense to you if you don't already know the full story of the Aware Saga. On 4th May 2019, 10 years and 2 days after the EGM that determined the outcome of the Aware Saga, Aware held a special get-together to commemorate that pivotal day. Around 100 members gathered at the Aware Center to watch video footage of the EGM and reunite with their old guard comrades. I myself had not been able to attend the EGM in 2009, so it was quite a thrill to be present at this anniversary event. There were flowers, bottles of champagne, even updated shut up and sit down t-shirts on sale. A few key old guard members and supporters gave speeches to the crowd, which we recorded for posterity. We thought it would be nice to share some moments from these speeches by Constance Singham, Siu Kam Hong and Tio Yu Yen amongst others. Have a listen. <laughs> of the Aware Saga. Today's event is titled, Where Were You? How many of you were not at this iconic event called the Aware Saga? Okay, maybe about one third of the group. There were some of you who were less than 10 years old. Uh, and those are our interns. They were about nine years old. There were some of you who were working outside Singapore uh, at this time. And I guess some were just not really paying so much attention. But I am so glad that you are all here. I am the first executive director, still am in this position. Because many of us old guys were inspired to make sure that whatever happened to where then would never ever happen. It happened 10 years and it really is to celebrate and reflect on what the Aware Saga meant for each of us personally, for Aware and for our society. Connie is here, so we'll get her to say something about this and I'll be thinking in a moment. But before that, we're just going to run that Where Were You speech. Where were you when you made the civil service that denied equal medical benefits? Where were you when women were restricted to one third of being paid with the medical faculty? Where were you when parents were confronted with worldwide balance? Where were you when concerns were raised about the ailing population when no one was able to work out the same Where were you? that is 
etched in my memory. And uh, it was a lot of this world experience for me. The next day, I rang Karina and uh, Maggie, and I don't know which order, in the morning, Sunday morning. And I said, I think we have been taken over by a Christian group. And Maggie said, who wants to take over where? <laughs> And Corina, same thing. Who wants to take over there? And it took them quite some time, actually, in order to realize, yes, somebody did take over there. And we have to fight, and we didn't like the idea of fighting. So it was really a couple of very harrowing weeks, and I think I was quite impossible to live with. They even organized a counseling session for me, from which I walked out. <laughs> Anyway, some things stand out. Um, the generosity of prince and people, kindness. There are two particular instances that I remember very clearly. The day, that Sunday afternoon, Jean rang me up. She's not here. And she said, Connie, you have no idea what they will do. Can I come and stay with you? And. Uh, so I said, look, Jane, I mean, I, I didn't know. We still haven't registered. I said, no need, I'll be fine. But she said, if you need me, she's a very tall, big person, you know, um, Chong. And um, she said, if you need me, just let me know. A couple of weeks later, it was a very difficult day for me because I had written a letter in the papers, and, uh, which I regret. And uh, it had appeared, and I couldn't stand being alone. So I rang some friends and said, can, you, can we meet for tea? And I met them at 3 o'clock for tea at Sideri. So while we were sitting there and having tea, I get a phone call from Alex Al. And Alex said, we want to see you. And uh, so I said, well, I'm in Sideri. So he said, we'll come and meet you for dinner. And Goddess was downstairs, and I was waiting for them downstairs, and I said, oh my God, what are they going to do to me, you know? And then George Huang and Alex Al came up to me and said, we don't want you to be a hood. And it was such an amazing moment for me. The whole civil society community, and we couldn't have carried it on without a civil society participation in that EOGM. We mustn't forget that. I don't think we are getting together often enough for important issues, for what we believe in Singapore and what we want Singapore to be. Thank you very much. The next person, I didn't know him, until the OS autumn. I knew him as a fearless NMP, uh, and I think it was Raymond Brockman. Uh, Sue Kang Hong, when I met him, was you. Oh, it's Dana. Okay, sorry. It's Dana. <laughs> so Kang Hong uh, is here, was the sharpest strategist and lawyer um, that I've ever met, right? and I am a lawyer myself. But he was so smart, he was so clear, he 
you knew if you did this, this is likely to happen. If you did that, this is likely to happen. And it was amazing to have some Kong on the team. May I add to that? Yes. Well, amazingly, he never once talked down to us. He never once dictated to us. He just didn't do any of those things that you expect a man to do. <laughs> He just lay out the facts, lay out the options, and it was always up to us to decide. Thank you, you know, I never forgot that. Come on, please. Thank you for being here today. For the first time, uh, actually, in my memory, I saw Singaporeans organized on a mass scale for Singapore. Right? I, saw, I saw Singaporeans come up. Right, um, out of nowhere because they believed in something and they came together. And that was incredibly inspiring for me. I was part of the uh, 377 petition two years before that. Um, I would say aware, which, which was you know, inspiring as well. And um, aware was different, right? Aware was different. And, and that takes me to the second thing that was really important about it. Is actually uh, all these Singaporeans coming out and showing in numbers the kind of Singapore society that we wanted to see, right? About secularism about uh, you know, uh, our principles, about the values that, we, that, that are important to us. And again, that was really good to see. And you know, ever since then, you know, um, we see the media talk about culture wars. To me, you know, it's, it's really about, it's less about culture wars. It's more about the values and the boundaries and creating a society where all Singaporeans can belong in a way that you know, uh, uh, doesn't really encroach on anyone else or anyone else. I think that was incredibly important. And I was listening to Connie. The third thing that occurred to me was that uh, um, I do remember talking to Connie, and that, at that moment I knew, right, um, there's something really important here. It's really important for someone who knows the history of aware, the values of aware to speak. And you know, I wanted to remind her of that because I thought it was really important for us. Um, but you know, as I listened to all that, it occurred to me that actually don't let other people tell you what the rules should. Right? Always lead from the heart. I think that's what we really did, right? That's what civil society really is about. And very often, you know, yeah, we disagree because you know, you lead from the heart and then you end up in a different place. But actually to me it's really important to lead from the heart to have the right values. Well, maybe I don't want to say the right values. To have values and principles that are respectful of other people. Right? And that would actually, I think most cases, take you to where take you to the right place for society, the right place for Singapore. And uh, I think, you know, since the EGM, we've had many, many young activists come up, uh, and it's very inspiring to see. Uh, and so uh, I will leave you with that, with the reminder, don't let other people, especially people with vested interests, tell you what the rules should be, what you should do. Instead, I think it's really important for all of us who love Singapore, who feel invested in Singapore, to start from the heart with what's important for Singapore, what we believe to be important for Singapore. And with that, you know, um, thank you for inviting me. Um, another person who was there, but I don't think she spoke. However, she, in the last year or so, is probably one of, has become one of Singapore's best-known academics and authors. She's grappled extensively with the issue of inequality in Singapore. something so I'm going to read it but uh, I'm super scared because I know this crowd can get real real fierce real fast. <laughs>
Although I normally read from my iPad, I'm holding my phone because I don't want to drop my iPad. So I'm going to strain my eyes and read from the phone. Uh, when the AWARE saga happened, I had been a member of AWARE for a number of years, but had only volunteered for one research project. I had not attended an AGM, and was basically a, a dormant member. So it follows that my role at the EGM was quite minor. After I found out about what was happening, I volunteered to help with the event. I was one of the seat warmers, that was a thing called the seat warmers. And our job was to take up the front of the, the room, and especially the seats near the aisles, so that the people who had speaking roles, in, could, in case they couldn't get near to the mics, could get near the mics. Um, it ended up being not necessary, so I spent most of the EGM in the general audience, or seated with a friend who had come along, uh, who in turn had brought friends who joined AWARE specifically to show up at the EGM. It was an amazing afternoon and a key turning point in my involvement with AWARE. But to be honest, I have not spent much time thinking about the event itself over the, the past decade. For me, the saga was significant because it marked my recognizing that it's important not to take AWARE for granted. After the saga, I became a lot more active in AWARE. I began to volunteer more, eventually as a board member for three terms between 2010 and 2016. Um, and it changed my life to be part of these boards, which grappled with questions around what AWARE was to become after it had weathered a storm and a crisis. So, those six years, I was also raising a young child. I was working on my first book, starting to enter into my second book. I was teaching, I was researching, I was publishing to get tenure. Um, and I was deeply entrenched in life at AWARE. So, AWARE was on my mind every day those six years. So, when I think back on the saga, the weeks in 2009 that I think have been very, were very dramatic for many of the people here, um, those weeks are not a huge part of my memory because the years that came after were so intense and so significant for me personally. Against this backdrop, a few weeks ago, the AWARE team, who is making something <laughs> to commemorate the 10th year anniversary, uh, asked me to tell them what the day felt like. That morning when I walked in here to record, my mind was on a lot of other things. I was thinking about barriers I was facing, releasing some new research, many unfinished tasks on my to-do list, and POFMA. So AWARE was really not at the center of my consciousness that morning, and it took me by surprise when half an hour into the interview, I suddenly felt a burning in my throat and tears sprouting out of my eyes. We had to stop the interview for a few minutes so that I could collect myself. What was it about the AWARE EGM that was so moving? I think that morning when I unexpectedly started crying, it was about being placed back into that room at Suntech and feeling a collective emotion surge through my body. What was palpable in that exhibition hall 10 years ago is what we might call, using sociologist Emil Durkheim's phrase, collective effervescence. What is collective effervescence? It is a feeling of being part of a collective, a feeling of one's being nestled in, being a part of, belonging to, this great beast that is the collective. Effervescence suggests that there is an energy, an energy surging through the collective body. We cease to be individuals. We are part of a community. It is a powerful feeling under any circumstance, 
but an especially magical, electrifying feeling when it's so rarely experienced. Why is it rarely experienced? If you believe deeply and genuinely in social justice, if you think diversity is more than a slogan, if you are dreamy and idealistic, Singapore is a very lonely place to be. <laughs> you may have friends who share your values, but in the public realm, you won't see, often, these values genuinely reflected back at you, affirmed, given oxygen. You will learn that you are a minority. And over time, you learn, we learn, to fold ourselves up, tuck ourselves in, keep our voices muted, accept and save company, or keep only safe company. Because being a freak takes so much energy, we can't do it in every room and every situation we're in. So that afternoon in Suntech, I felt a rare moment of not being alone. Seeing people line up at the mic, hearing people speak openly and unapologetically about the importance of justice and inclusion, watching actual diversity on display, not just invoked, but practiced, celebrated. I felt for the first time in my years living in Singapore that I had people. These are my people. <laughs> the collective was gloriously opening white, spilling out boldly, fiercely, loudly, taking up space. I did not speak that day, but I did not feel silenced because I felt represented. Those of us lucky enough to have witnessed the Aware AGM, lucky enough to have had that experience of collective effervescence, lucky enough to have had that magical experience of recognizing and finding our people, must keep doing the work of creating and recreating space for seeing each other and for sending smoke signals to the other freaks out there who have not yet found us. <laughs> In a country where mobilization is so difficult, where there are so many barriers to collective actions, we don't have many opportunities for being together and feeling that electric charge that comes from being in the company of other activists. For people who believe in social justice and equality, diversity and inclusion, to convert ideals into action, we need over and over to remind one another that we are not in this alone. We need over and over to act together and see that acting together, we can do things that we cannot do as individuals. When we come together, we are more than the sum of our parts. In the decades since the saga, we have together done a lot to further strengthen AWARE, and a lot continues to be done by many who are not at Suntech that day. To take AWARE's work ever further every year, the AWARE saga created something, an energy field, momentum, that stretches across time, and I believe it will keep going. What we have done over the decades since the saga has not led to all the changes we want to see. We're not living in especially promising times where democracy and justice are concerned. We shouldn't be blind to this. But I say this as a reminder to myself, as well as to anyone else who would like to be reminded, that idealism and the activism that accompanies idealism has always been about aspiring to the not yet possible. Every generation of activists faces continual cycles of mostly setbacks and minute gains. I get asked a lot by audiences when I talk about my work, about whether there are signs of hope, 
and whether I'm optimistic. And there are times and contexts when it is important to speak of hope and optimism. And it's not that I don't need hope or optimism, but I think hope and optimism have receded into the background within my own emotional repertoire. They have become slightly less important as key motivating drivers. Instead, I increasingly tap into my right to be idealistic. The right to be idealistic. I think of this as resisting cynicism and helplessness and insisting on continuing to dream of, aspire for, work towards the not yet possible. For me, this is what can keep us from wearing ourselves out trying to find signs of hope. We're working toward the not yet possible. Recognize this, keep moving. We cannot say when or how our dreams will finally come through, but we can wake up every day and know our purpose. And our purpose is simply this, there is work to be done. Let me end by saying thank you to the many feminists who have built this organization, uh, who weathered this traumatic storm. You called, we responded, look where we are. I bet you could not imagine 10 years ago that we could be here now, so many out and proud feminists. <laughs> and thank you too for everyone who continues to do the work pushing boundaries, holding the space, for others to also hear the call and join in. There is work to be done, and so we will do it. In cynical times, this is our radical act, dreaming still of the not yet possible. Thanks for listening to this special bonus feature for Saga. I'm your host, Bharati Jagdish. It was written and produced by Jasmine Ng and Kelly Liao. Visit aware.org.sg saga for full episodes, links to archival material, an interactive timeline, character map, and more. <laughs>